Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Trauma shows up in the present through our body, and it's relived over and over again until we heal it and resolve it. It shows up somatically as experience, as a visceral sense, and it comes out through sensations, reactions, thoughts, behaviors, and being activated. This is the feeling that we often get of being chronically hypervigilant and always anxious. It makes sense and you can begin to heal. To find out more about my trauma recovery coaching, you can visit my website at www.cbtsdcoach.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching. The association is a professional organization of certified trauma recovery coaches around the globe. It provides coursework, credentialing, and is now moving towards accrediting other organizations that want to provide education for trauma recovery coaches. It is association's goal to raise up highly trained coaches who can provide effective and easily accessible coaching to any trauma survivor with access to the internet. Their coaches work with all types of trauma. They meet each client where they are and help them work towards their goals. If you're interested in becoming a certified trauma recovery coach, you can view the coursework the association offers at thetraumarecoverycoach.com or you can email them at info at iaotrc.com. They provide in-depth education about trauma, trauma recovery coaching, and how to build a successful coaching practice. Whether you're a trauma survivor or a potential coach, you can explore the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching as they work to educate coaches and advocate for trauma survivors around the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, I'm joined with licensed marriage and family therapist, Melissa Callahan. She's a relationship expert, and she's going to be talking about 
attachment, and adult relationships. So I hope you find this episode helpful. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Monique. I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad to have you here, finally. Because <laughs> yes. I know we, <laughs> we, we had, had some s- scheduling issues, but it was it was kismet that we found each other eventually. Yes, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad about the topic that we're going to talk about, which is so important. And I know that it's something that you you've told me you're so passionate about, and that is just this whole area of attachment and yes. how our earliest attachments do affect our current relationships. And I thought we could talk about that. Like, why does that happen? Why does what happened to me and my relationship with my primary caregivers, why does that impact my current relationships? So how do you want to start this? I I mentioned to Monique that I could talk about attachment for hours. And so we're going to just dive right in by maybe even naming what attachment is for those of your listeners that aren't as familiar with it. Um, But attachment theory was developed uh, quite some time ago by John Bowlby around um, analysis of the infant caregiver dynamic. And so as you mentioned, this early bond that is created between your primary caregiver, typically the mother, but not always, um, and an infant, it it blows my mind to this day, but it always has a huge impact even on our adult relationships. And so he defines it as the lasting psychological bond between human beings. And so that's what attachment is. And it what your first earlier experiences are as your beginning brain begins to form, um, it lasts unless we intentionally understand it and do something about it to create um, a healthy attachment that feels really good for us as individuals. I had no idea of this information yeah, you know, when I was married, I, I'm still mm. married, by the way, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> Happy marriage, but yeah. uh, you know, at the beginning, I had absolutely no idea that why would that have an impact? How could that have an impact on yeah. um, my relationships? So, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when I read when I was going to graduate school, I had changed careers to do um, to become a, a marriage and family therapist. When I learned about attachment theory, everything in my brain connected and made sense. Everything that the ways that I was currently navigating relationships was right there in my textbooks, and so. Um, I love that you didn't know about it, but now you can see how it shows up even in your very wonderful marriage um, of a long time. And so I think it's important for us to also not only talk about attachment as the emotional bond between human beings, it's helpful to consider your attachment style or your attachment strategy as a threat mitigation system. And so what I mean by threat is when you are feeling unsafe or insecure or in a moment of distress, you we feel safest finding another person to share that burden or share that load with. And so if we re- rewind back to when we're infants, that looks like hungry, scared, tired. We don't know what to do with that. And so we are hoping that our caregiver can offer us comfort, that they're engaged, available, and responsive to our needs. But not always is that possible based on 
skill of our caregiver, their potential trauma experiences, or even their own experiences of their caregivers. So how you pass down your attachment style is can be also considered that intergenerational trauma that can be sent down. And so fast forward to adulthood, right? So now I have this threat mitigation system that when I'm feeling unsafe and insecure or feeling distressed, I'm hoping that I can have a safe other to share this with. But if I didn't have that in early childhood, I am less likely to trust that that will be available to me as an adult. And this is where we move from having relational coping to individual coping because we lose trust that our most important people are going to be reliable and dependable when we need them the most. It's so interesting, isn't it? I see, I can see your reaction as you're consuming all of my work. Everything. (laughs) Even when you went intergenerational, I saw my great-grandmother, I saw my mom, Mm -hmm. I just saw it all being passed down. But yeah, absolutely. So you're saying that if it wasn't safe as a baby, like if it wasn't, if we didn't have a safe relationship, if they weren't safe and reliable, then we're going to have some it might not feel so safe to go to our, who should be safe, other first. Absolutely. So we learned that, you know what, when I am sharing some distress, I don't know that I can depend on someone else. And so that starts so young in infancy. And so we fast forward to adulthood and now we're getting, we are looking for partnerships. We're looking for close friendships. We're looking for our community. And if we're, if we look closely, we can understand our own patterns in relationships by understanding our attachment style and strategy, which I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of your listeners have heard about, but I'm happy to dive into the more general ones too. Um, diving into the exact strategies, uh, there's a spectrum, I think. Um, I'm one of those people in the world that doesn't like to be put in a box. And so (laughs) some people love that. It feels good for them. I like to have a little bit more flexibility. But when I'm talking about the individual strategies that we are creating for ourselves, it's because of the not being a safe other. We have this spectrum of going from, I'm going to protest to another that I don't feel safe that is someone that has more of an anxious style. So they are a person that is an anxious attachment. They're going to heighten the signal saying, I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling stressed. I'm going to let someone know. And this might come across as being critical or blaming or even picking a fight in some relationships. And so other ways to understand if you might fall into an avoidant attachment style is Recognizing if you feel more sensitive than others. Do you crave a lot of closeness and then also feel anxious when you're not getting that validation, right? If you're not getting attention or that approval and it's maybe in a moment of being alone, do you feel anxiety? If the answer is yes to that, you are more likely one of those people that is on the anxious avoidance style. And the way that you cope with distress in relationships is you heighten the signal and you say, things are not okay here. We have got to look at something. There is something not feeling safe and secure in our dynamic. 
But of course, you're not using those words. You're usually saying, why didn't you do the dishes? <laughs> or why didn't you call me back, right? So then the other one, and it's interesting because the anxious uh, attachment style, they tend to find the other attachment style that is most common, which is the avoidant attachment style. And so avoidant attachment style, the way that you, when you're feeling distress or not safe and secure in relationships, you turn down the volume of the problem. You say, it's okay here. We're all good. Or you might even withdraw and pull back and saying, you know what? This doesn't feel so safe to me. I'm going to pull away. I'm going to pull myself back here. You might be more self-reliant. You might struggle to express your own emotions. And you tend to be quite logical. And you tend to not feel things. You think about things and you problem solve. Um, and so that is another very common way that we cope individually, right? So an individual coping style is I'm going to turn up and I'm going to maybe pick a fight because I'm feeling some anxiousness or I'm going to pull back and withdraw because I need to avoid it because all of a sudden our dynamic doesn't feel safe. Not surprising. These two people find each other, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so they find each other. And even though they're coping individually to protect themselves from not feeling safe and secure in the relationship, there are effects on the the strength of the bond. There's become some fractures and injuries because one person is heightening the signal of distress and another person is saying, "Uh uh-uh, let's not even go there. Let's sweep that under the rug. It's important, especially to note, just to say out there for um, your listeners or for people that have endured more than most, it is also, um, you can also find yourself vacillating between these two strategies. They would label that a disorganized attachment style. So that means that you're craving that closeness and you seek it out. But then also when it's there, it feels so scary and you can't trust it. And so you push it away. And so I just wanted to name that because that it also can be a lot of experience, uh, a lot of a similar experience for a lot of people that have endured trauma, um, particularly relational trauma or early childhood trauma. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there as well. Um, I think one of the other things that we can talk about when it comes to attachment is understanding that the threat that we feel, Monique, is we feel really unimportant and that we feel like we don't matter and we feel like we're not good enough or we feel like we're rejected. And so that's why we use those coping skills of being able to turn up the heat of saying, I've got to, I got to let you know that I'm feeling unimportant here or I'm not feeling secure in our relationship here or you turn it down because you don't feel good enough. And you're like, this feels so uncomfortable for me. I got to walk away from this and I've got to withdraw from that. So as you continue to learn your own attachment and you can look into so many resources out there, Attached is a lovely book to read if you are curious about understanding your own attachment style as an adult. It's important to also understand what is the fear that's motivating your behavior? Because when you have that awareness of the fear that's motivating your behavior, that's when we can start to restructure the way that we move through conflict or we navigate tough moments in our relationships. And I think the first answer about what do we do is get intimately aware of what's going on within yourself. Take a look in the mirror and look at what the patterns you bring into the relationship, not just what someone else is bringing. 
And that's hard work and leaning into lovely professionals like yourself and other licensed professionals is a great way to start to really look at yourself and saying, what am I contributing to in this dynamic when I feel unsafe? And what happens when my partner or my family member or my friend feels unsafe with me? What am I noticing in them? And how are we co-creating this relationship that might not be feeling as good as each of us is wanting to? Yeah, lots of stuff there for sure. Um, As we're about to dive into talking about how we can create more security in our relationships, Monique, I just wanted to check in with you to see if there's any questions that have come up for you. If, you know, just in case some of this feels a little big, if it feels too vague, especially if some of your listeners are having some of those questions, is there anything you want to check out with me? Well, what, what's coming to my mind is, is that a lot of, because we superimpose when we still have stored trauma, we superimpose the past onto the present. And so we can find that we're almost putting things that have happened to us in the past onto our partner and, yes. and thinking that this is their intention. So, mm. yeah. So I'm just wondering about, you know, some of that uh, childhood trauma stuff that, um, you know, that I shows understand, up. yeah, like I understand working on, okay, your attachment styles, but what about the piece about early trauma? Uh, you know, those kinds of things. Do you look at that as well? Yeah, I think that your early traumas also um, are going to contribute to whether you believe other human beings can be safe to you. And that's when our attachment system, that threat mitigation system comes into action, right? If you've experienced harm um, uh, from another person uh, or a group of people, that is only going to contribute to this idea that I cannot trust others, or I cannot be, I cannot uh, share my vulnerabilities or my needs with them, and that they will turn around and be comforting and soothing to me, right? Um, and so, just I just wanted to name that. And so, um, the other piece of you saying we can bring our past traumas into our current relationships, right? Because it's so stored within our system. That is a huge piece of that. Our system is going to gravitate towards what we know. So you're likely going to find a partner that reminds you in some way, right, of those early childhood traumas. But then you're hoping for that pain to be healed. And that's when all, that's why we fight or that's why we pursue or that's why we withdraw because we're hoping this relationship can look different. Talking about how our traumas, our unsafe relationships from early childhood become our map of navigating yeah. adult relationships, it doesn't mean that this is forever, right? I think that some people might hear this and be like, well, I can't do anything about it now. And that's just not true. Um, it, the first step is finding out all of that self-awareness and understanding of your own patterns and relationships. But then it's also taking a look at how can I help my current relationships feel more safe and secure. And even if you're the only person working on it, even though I would love it if multiple people were working on it, you 50%, you're changing 50% of that dynamic, right? And so absolutely, you are going to change the, the way that the interactions, it might take some time, but you can change and restructure the way that you guys alert one another when you're not feeling safe and secure in the relationship. 
So how do we move to security? So once we understand our behavior, right, anxious, avoidant, that and the wounds that live underneath that, right, I feel unsafe, I feel unimportant, I feel like I don't matter or I'm not good enough. That's when we can start to say, how can I talk about that? Instead of saying, why didn't you do the dishes? Why didn't you do X, Y, Z? Or I'm going to, my partner is bringing up something that brings me uncomfortable and I'm going to mosey on over here, or I'm just going to hold back because this feels unsafe to me. The tough part in moving towards security is taking really big risks with sharing more about your emotional world, which means, you know, when you didn't do the dishes, when I asked, I felt like what I was saying to you isn't important to you. And when I don't feel important to you, I don't feel so safe in our connection with each other. I'm sure this sounds really great coming from, you know, a licensed couples therapist that it's really hard to put in action. And I don't always put it into action with my husband, but those are the conversations that help your relationship move closer to security is how do I take some emotional risk to not just let my sense of lack of safety take over my behaviors, but instead I understand that my lack of safety is what I need to be communicating first. Yeah, yeah. It's really not about the dishes. I always, <laughs> I always encourage my clients because, especially the ones that have been people pleasers that are afraid to yes. voice their opinion, it's terrifying for them to really start in teeny weeny, you know, tiny yes. little little sentences. Um, I had one client who decided she was going to write it first to her husband and she wrote it on a paper and that was huge for her and showed it to him. Yeah. So small, safe steps, but um, yeah, I love what you're saying about um, expressing that really that's it, you know, the, the safety piece. And you know, what you're saying brings up another thought that I want to share with you and and your your listeners is that those individual coping strategies of maybe being a little bit more anxious in relationships or being a little bit more avoidant in relationships, those are strategies to cope with the discomfort of uncomfortable emotions like sadness and loneliness and rejection, right? And so what we're talking about, you and I, is getting a little bit more comfortable with letting that discomfort be felt in your body. Uh, Particularly for trauma survivors, this feels very threatening. So I love hearing you say, start small. Writing is okay. If even if you need to text, it's not a sustainable forever thing for relationships, but start there. Even with small words that my feelings are hurt. I don't quite know why, but I need to go think about it. Or I just feel sad right now. Or I feel scared right now. Just these really small ways that we can help bring more vulnerability and honesty into your conversations will help you and your partner learn that when we share vulnerable things with each other, we're going to turn to each other. We are going to be emotionally available. We're going to be emotionally responsive. And we're going to be emotionally engaged with what you're saying because that is what brings safety and security in relationships. Knowing that someone is going to turn to you, turn towards you when you say, I'm not okay. I mean, that's, that's the crux of it. But gosh, it sounds so simple, but it's so hard to really live by. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, I mean, 
you know, think about it. You're brought up in a home for, you know, the first, whatever, 20 years, and you have never been allowed to express a need. And now you're in a relationship that's, you know, a serious relationship. And, you know, it's like you want to say it, but nothing's coming out because you're you know, threat system is like, don't, don't say it. It's, it's not safe. Exactly. Exactly. I love how you're creating, you're helping, um, apply attachment theory and, um, what it looks like in adulthood is that if you did not have a caregiver that leaned in and said, I want to know what's going on with you. And I want to hear, I, even if we're before we're um, nonverbal, right? Or um, at least we can't speak the language, but we are notifying them. If we are not ha- met with a caregiver that has the ability or skills for whatever their story is to turn to us and say, I've got you. You're going to be safe with me. Oh, you learn. People don't really want to know that. People, it's not right. No, people don't want to know about my vulnerabilities. I've got to take care of myself or I've got to, turn up my cue that no, wait, really listen to me because I'm really not okay. And that is exactly kind of how those two strategies break off from one another. We either say, you know what, I can't do it anymore because they're not turning towards me and taking care of me, or I just got to keep amplifying it. And so um, I love how you're interweaving the childhood experiences to how it shows up in your adult relationships, because that's exactly, that's a perfect example of how this presents. One of the other things I, I want to just say, because I love talking about attachment theory um, and I love talking about vulnerability and safety and security in relationships, not all relationships can move towards safety and security. And so if you are listening or you are feeling that I can't quite, what they're talking about sounds great, but I could never... I could never say, you know, your words or your behavior hurt me in a way that I need to share with you. I think that it's important to look at that and lean into the appropriate supports because not all relationships are safe to stay in. And it felt really important to bring that aspect of this conversation too. Yeah, no, it's very true. Um, You know, I mean, I, I recognize that too sometimes even working with people when they are not in a safe relationship, you're trying to teach skills and, but if you're, if it's practically unsafe, then, you know, you need to find safety first. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if your safest connection is whoever's supporting you, whether it's a therapist or a coach or a family member or friend, that's the first start. We just need one. We just need one example of a safe connection to to start rebuilding our map of what security looks like. And so if you do find yourself in a situation where this is not safe for me anymore and I need to pull away, lean on that one, whether it's a professional or a personal support, and they can help you lean out of that relationship or that situation or circumstance that you're in. because your safety is of utmost important, which is why this whole threat mitigation system exists within our bodies anyway. Yeah. Really good. Yes. I want to also name that what I'm talking about sounds really lovely, right? We'll go with our decision example. I want you to know that when you don't do the dishes, I feel it important. This is ideal. 
This is also not what always real life looks like. We're stressed. We have jobs. Sometimes we have kids or animals or things that pull us away from being able to be perfect. So one other aspect that is really important to create security in your adult relationships is the element of repair. And I don't think this is talked about as much as it should be is that we lose our minds sometimes or we're just imperfect and that's okay. But if you had a dust up or a scuffle or a conflict with someone that you love and care about, it doesn't always have to be a romantic partner. It, moving towards security is carving out the time to have the hard conversation and go back and say, hey, what just happened between us? Can we, re, can we process that together? Can I share with you, I was stressed, but I realized I was short. What was that like for you? Or you saying, hey, I realize you've been stressed, but you've been hard on me. And I want you to know that it's not feeling so good for me. And so always, 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 the element of repair is a huge step in moving towards security in your adult relationships. One other thing that's coming up for me is recognizing that what I'm talking about might sound like it's this very clear map. I want to normalize that this takes a lot of work. This takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of intention. And so um, I don't say that to overwhelm anyone. I say that to offer compassion to everyone to know that it's okay that this is hard and it's okay that this feels messy and complicated at times. But it first starts with looking in the mirror and being really honest and compassionate with yourself and saying, what do I bring into this relationship and how is it impacting the relationship? And when you have a hard look and where did I get this? How did I learn this? Where did this come from? All of that is going to help with the compassion piece um, is just understanding those early maps and models of relationships, but really being able to say, okay, I, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to look at what I bring in this relationship is the first step of saying, I, I can make changes here that I'm not always just needing my other, my partner to be different, that I can be different too. And if we can slowly make small, your beautiful words, one step at a time changes to being more authentic and being more vulnerable and sharing more of our inner worlds with our partners, our family members, our friends the security and the strength of the bond is going to grow. And with the stronger bond, you can endure more challenge. And so it just feels important to honor, to, to honor the process and trust the process and let everyone know and, and your listeners hear that we might be having a, a, a brief conversation about this, but this is hard work and it takes time. And so give yourself some grace if you're in the midst of looking at your relationship patterns and what's happening there. It takes time, and but it can be done. Yes, yeah. I think all of this um, relearning and reshaping, all of it takes a lot of time. Mm. And I like that you said the word compassion because... Um, I think that we have to have a compassionate look at, you know, we are where we are because of what we've had to endure and, mm. and we have the capacity to reshape and relearn, but yeah, it's a lot of these things are so patterned in, it's going to take repetition, it's going to take work. We're going to have to move through some uncomfortable things like expressing our needs to our partners, you know, stuff like that. So 
Yeah, I could just think of, you know, my own relationship over the decades, how different it's been as I healed and I, you know, grew mm. um, just different and comfortable. So, but there were times where it was extremely uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, things can change, but it does take time. I so appreciate that self-disclosure too, Monique, because I I can, you know, normalize that and validate that with you because, you know, my my marriage has benefited from my life's work and it also has been, you know, sort of the test tube of trying all this out and living this and it is hard and and it, and we can do it because I love how you're saying that we did not ask for our early relationships. We did not ask for some of the things to happen to us that have lingered within our minds and our bodies, but we do have the capacity to change the way that we navigate our relationships, the way that we nurture our relationships, and we can find the empowerment within us to create the life that we have always wanted, even even when it's a little harder. Uh, yeah, I love that. I think this mm-hmm. is a great, this is a great place to end because it's, uh, it feels very resilient. Yes. Is, is there anything you want to add just before we close? I just, I think that that's a beautiful way to close, Monique, that the resiliency, if you're struggling with resiliency too, that that's okay. You're not alone. And finding resiliency is, I believe, is mostly through relationships. So if you are struggling on your own, finding a safe person, whoever it is to support you is the first step in finding your own resiliency because we are hardwired for connection. And so let's honor that. That's really great. So tell us, Melissa, if people want to find out about your work, where can they, where can they find you? Sure. Um, well, how we initially got connected was through social media. My Instagram handle is Relational Healer. Um, and then also my website is just melissacallahan.com. And um, there's more information about myself and, and my offerings there. Great. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you.